0: Ed Seelover Lover is a veteran reporter who has covered Colorado politics for 18 years. If anyone can look into a crystal ball to see what's coming up in the next Colorado state legislative session, it's going to be this guy. So what does he see? This is the audio version of our television show, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that program by going to youtube.com and searching for our channel, IITV, that's Independence Institute TV. I hope you're going to tell a friend about this discussion. I remember when he was just a puppy dog working for the Rocky Mountain News. It was Rocky, wasn't it?
1: Uh, actually, I started with the Colorado Springs Gazette, but then the Rocky, yes.
0: Wow. Mm. Ed Sea Lover, good to have mm. you back. All Thank right. you, John. So, Colorado Springs Gazette, Rocky, and then your writing was so poor there that the Rocky went out of business. All um, my fault. It, Absolutely. It was, uh, yes. Um, and then to the Denver Business Journal for a number of years. What's fascinating is the new gig, which is a specialty news site of your own creation called The Sub Sub and Substance The really. Sum
1: and Substance at tsscolorado.com it That's sounds, right
0: Sounds sounds like Selling meth off of that. What is what is the substance of
1: what? <laughs> the the sum and substance of business policy and business legislation. What it is, it is. Uh, I, for those who haven't followed me, I now work for the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. You uh, sell out. Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, and this site, Sum and Substance, covers business policy and just covers it really in depth. Uh, kind of dives into how anything going on at the Capitol is going to affect businesses, how things are going. Going on it, commissions across Colorado What's the States. difference between
0: uh, TSSColorado.com, your site, and what you're doing for the Denver Business Journal?
1: Um, not a lot. I mean, a lot is, is is who I work for. And and I will say, yeah, I work for an interest group, but I do try to write this down the middle, try to put both sides in there. You, nobody gets smarter hearing one side of the story is my, my motto. Um, so it's really what I was doing without... Restaurants, earnings reports, travel industry, uh, and with, um, in, a, in a sense, a lot more depth and a lot more going into issues I may not have gone into before because now I realize I'm writing for a very specific audience, one who wants to hear about business policy and how the legislature is affecting And outside
0: that. the Denver metro area as well. And outside so, the Denver area. So you get got so. to focus in on, on the sweet stuff uh, and, and the important stuff. We've linked to it. It's, it's good stuff. Thank you. Um, So when are they going to
1: fire you? I don't think quite yet. But um, especially heading into the 2024 legislative session, they're going to need someone who knows how to work 150 hours a week, uh, which is what it's going to take to keep up with business bills. How many legislative sessions have you covered? Before before
0: we go into this upcoming one. uh
1: uh, This is going to be my 18th session. Oh, Uh, my God. Yeah, it's really, I I suppose there is a support group somewhere out there for me. I
0: don't know, you know what drunk driving thing you're working off, but that's a lot of community service. He <laughs> should <laughs> it's just, it's just It's just too much. Let me ask you the larger question that I want to get into next session. Over those 18 years, describe not the change in policy, the change in style and demeanor
1: of of the legislature. It is pretty substantial. And, and I have to step back and think about that uh, a lot of times. And, and I think I look at a lot of who is serving to. When I started in 2007 there, that was still an era when most people from both sides of the aisle had come up through owning their businesses, maybe retiring afterwards, come up through school boards, city councils, local nonprofit organizations. And there were people who were used to coming in and working together uh, in some form or fashion, and then figuring out how they could get things done. Today, you see on both sides of the aisle more and more activists coming in, people who have grown up uh, and and in many ways uh, not technically grown up as much. It is a younger legislature these days than it was uh, 18 years ago. And people who have a very solidified point of view and haven't had the experience trying to compromise and work to something with someone of a different belief system. And I think that's why we've seen a lot of these policy debates hardened and a lot of the animosity level just go way up there.
0: Is it a bad thing? I mean, from my point of view, having people who have uh, gone through the system, that's great. They know the ropes. They know what they're talking about. If you get an ideologue who's on your side, that feels really good. And so I can understand why, hey, I came here to change this issue. And that's what I'm working on. You know where they're standing. I'm not going to f- change on this issue. Yeah, uh, The other stuff is fine. Is its it... Is it A better or worse experience having these young,
1: hardcore folks on both sides? I would say the idea of the legislature is that not everybody in Colorado is going to agree. And you're going to try to find some way to get to a place where the majority of Coloradans, as represented by the people in the legislature, agree on how to proceed after something. But if you come in unwilling to say, "What does your side say to this?" Right, then you're not going to get to that place of agreement, and the divide is just going to grow more in the middle. And we're going to have more laws that a lot of people really don't like. Well,
0: And what's funny and sad is that there are no longer two, there are no longer two different uh, parties. There's one party. That party is a democratic party. They're in control of everything. It's fun to talk about the dysfunction in the Republican Party, and it's it's sizable, but it's meaningless. I mean, you have a super minority versus a super majority, and it's interesting to see how the super majority, at least from my point of view, I'm not saying the Republicans would do it any differently, but that what we used to call the stakeholder process really doesn't exist the same way. And I saw it. Uh, I saw it through Proposition HH and, and the law that cares. It was a fake holder process, not a stakeholder process. Well, we talked to businesses all around. No, you didn't. You just came out and here it is and you have the votes to get it passed, so you get it passed. I've never seen that before. And, and, and with House, no matter who is in control, I've never seen such blatant fake holder process. Here it is, we're voting on it, to hell with you.
1: And certainly, fake holding was one of the uh, key words of the 2023 session. We heard it over and over again. Hey, our stakeholding process is going to be getting 70 people on this side of the uh, bill uh, on a phone call for half an hour and uh, hearing why you don't like it and then moving the bill anyway. One thing I will say, and yes, it is Democrat supermajority over there, but especially in the Senate, we saw a lot of instances last year when the more moderate Democrats started to flex their muscle a little bit more, kill bills in committees, uh really fight to tone down bills on the floor. And even though I would not say in any way moderates are the, um, uh, the majority of that 23-person delegation, there are enough of them to team with the 12 Republicans where you saw some significant changes to bills last year and you saw significant pushback from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party saying, this is not what we want to happen.
0: I believe the untold story in Colorado politics I think it's two great untold stories, but the most immediate one is a civil war going on inside the Democratic ranks. Because I think reporters are so tied into the R versus D fight, they forget the R's don't matter anymore. They're just off on their own little playground having their own little spats, but it doesn't matter. The, the fight between the socialists and the liberals are just, it's getting, it's starting to spill out. And we saw it in the special, in the special session. The other story that won't be told is the growth of the administrative state. How particularly under this governor, this business friendly governor, we have seen rules and commissions and councils turned into commissions and, and the kind of stuff you must be, be looking at all the time. This is the stuff that businesses have to deal with and it's regulatory growth and I've never seen anything like this in, in my lifetime but it's not known to most people because why would you know that the Quality Control Council, is now the Air Quality Control Commission, and they've got
1: massive power and they're flexing it. And it's funny you mentioned that because I've spent a significant amount of time in the off-season on air quality control commission hearings. Uh, they are setting rules for the greenhouse gases that can come out of buildings. They are setting rules for manufacturing facilities and what they can emit. Uh, they are going to be looking at creating a fee early next year for greenhouse gas emissions that you have to Afe based on what you uh, put out there. And there are significant fights in that commission, too. And, and most people will focus from mid-January through mid-May on the legislature without realizing the legislature passes bills where they say, now we're going to send this to rulemaking at the Air Quality Control Commission or at the uh, Carbon and Energy Management Commission or at the Water Quality Control Commission. And there are these commissions that are appointed uh, largely by Governor Polis, sometimes with input from legislators, uh, that are are really taking the big picture idea of the legislature and putting them into play. And I'll go out mm. and say that
0: most of the appointees are hardcore ideologues. You see that on the PUC, you see it on the Air Quality Control Commission, you see it with what goes on with our energy Czar uh, Will Tour and the things that he puts through and uh, these are these are you've got people who don't care about economic vitality. They just want to stop progress they just want to stop building they want to stop businesses they don't see it that way they're saving the planet and you know I respect their they're feeling that but they're using governmental power that is going to destroy the economy it's you you can't fight greenhouse gases when you don't make enough money feed your uh, kids.
1: It's interesting that you say this, especially given that you talked about the civil war going on within the Democratic Party. We're seeing a little bit of that even within the Air Quality Commission now. Now, back in um, uh, October, and I'm sorry if I'm getting the months wrong here, uh, back in October, the commission set what were called the GEM Two rules. They were rules for the largest manufacturers in Colorado. And a number of environmental groups came forward and said, here's what we want you to do. And as the commission went along, it said, "Okay, we want to do these things, but we, we can't can't put these plants out of business. And so they, they, put in a couple stipulations, they compromised a bit, and afterwards you saw a number of environmental groups saying, this is not right, you did not do your job, this is not what the legislature wanted you to do. So even, I think, what was once seen as this, you know, commissions will take over and their are ID logs and they're pushing that, there's even a fight now between the practicality and the ideal in commissions, and when groups are not getting their way, you're seeing a lot of, of people upset, particularly in the, in the more progressive community about the Polis administration and the people that they're appointing to these commissions. Let me word it differently. There is a war coming, particularly in the environmental realm, of
0: environmentalists who have religious zeal on stopping all emissions, and environmentalists who can do math. These are the same people who understand. They want the same goal, but they realize there is no way you're going to get to 100% uh, renewable energy by 2040, unless we do things like nuclear, unless we do things like hydroelectric. It cannot be done because they know how to do math. Uh, the others don't care, they'll close down the economy in order to stop, stop the greenhouse gases. That's the other civil war that's popping up and it's fascinating. You know, I might disagree with, with both sides of this, but those people who know how to do math are starting to get emboldened going, this isn't going to work as they see energy prices spike. It,
1: it's, not, it's not that hard. And I think we're going to see this come up again in the 2024 session. Um, I think one of the bills that, that drove the most hardened reactions in 2023 uh, was a bill that was going to put some, some significant Um, upturn in regulations around air quality permitting. And uh, Governor Polis even sent his folks down there from the uh, Carbon Energy Management Commission, from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. And CDPHE, which was once viewed as the enemy by the Republicans, this is 10 years ago, Uh, came down and said, look, we can't, do all the things you want to do. We're already working to clean the environment. This is too much. We don't have the staff to do this. And and frankly, we're moving the goalposts again. Um, And and kicked it back to a study committee that would look at ways to bring down ozone pollution. Um, That study committee has been meeting for four months now. This is what I do for fun is I I listen in to these committee meetings. Um, And and it sounds like they're ready to come back with a bill that looks very similar to the one that got gutted in 2023. and basically go head-to-head with polls and say, no, this is what we need to do and see how much the governor is willing to bend. Um, so I'm, I think that's going to be one of those fights to really watch in 2024. Speaking
0: of the fights with Polis,
1: this is his mess now. This is his legislature.
0: Uh, it's his party. It's his administration. And he has been so reluctant to stand up to the crazy wing of his party. My words. You can use something more gentle. That's going to get, at some point, he's going to have to decide, does he want to economically bankrupt the state with regulatory changes? Or does he stand up to the democratic socialists in the legislature? And I don't mean that as an insult. There are six people who are, uh, you know, democratic socialists there. So he's in a, he's in a tough spot. Uh, And so next year, next session coming around the corner, I think these things are really going to start landing in his in his lap in
1: a way he could not he could avoid before and I think people have had enough of it. I uh I'm going to both agree and disagree with you on this. For one, I actually think he has been standing up a little bit more to that wing of the party. He was he was sending in folks to, to tamp down this air quality bill that we just referenced. He's also vetoed uh, this year uh, the bill that would have given local governments the right of first refusal on any substantially sized apartment complex that goes up for sale that they would have been able to swoop in and say, oh, this is the price you're asking? We're buying it. Cut right. the process here. Um, and he vetoed that saying this is not how it's going to work. Now, something yeah, like that.
0: First great veto. I mean, he's vetoed things that were symbolic and not very, very big. Mm -hmm. No, but this this is the guy who, who still hasn't stood up in a large way.
1: And, and I think we're going to see, and this is the part where I'm going to agree with you, I think we're going to see that test really put to it this year. And this is, this is going to get a little geeky here. But one of the, <laughs> one of the changes uh, that was made when uh, Robert Rodriguez took over as Senate Majority Leader, Dominic Moreno, served in that role last year, stepped aside to go work for the Johnson administration in Denver. Rodriguez comes in and he made changes to a number of committees. But the key one was this. He took the Senate Local Government and Housing Committee, which is a four to three committee, four Democrats, three Republicans, despite the nearly double lead that Democrats have in the uh, Senate. Um, And he took off Dylan Roberts, who is a senator from Western Colorado, who is known as one of the leading moderates in the Senate. And he put on Senator Faith Winter, very progressive uh, Democratic senator. And it's likely that things that died last year or got tamped down substantially in that committee, including a bill died that would have allowed local rent control, uh, a bill died that would have really reigned in metro districts, which are the only districts that are substantially right. building housing now. Uh, that uh, right of first refusal bill went through significant changes before moving on. Um, those things will probably go through unimpeded this year, have a lot better chance of getting out of the Senate. Um, and then we'll have to see whether Polis is willing to veto them or not. And in the
0: shadow of all this is his image nationwide, you know, and which is finally starting to get some realization. The Wall Street Journal mentioned, oh, you just passed HH in the legislative uh, special session over the, the cries of your voters. Don't, that's a bad call. And so you know, I don't know where he is and what he wants to do, if he wants to become a VP candidate, the big guy president, I don't know. But he does care about his national image. And part of that is is you, you can't please everybody. You can't please everybody for, for, for too long. And he's going to he's gonna have to make some stands. And so far, he hasn't been able to stand up to the left. All right, next session. What do, you, what do you see as the big theme? Is it going to be property taxes again?
1: Uh, there will be efforts for property taxes. In fact, I believe uh, Polis is just putting together, Polis and the, uh, the Legislative Leaders are just putting together their long-term property task, uh, tax task force um, that's supposed to come up with something by March 1st saying, here's how you're going to solve this problem for once and for all. No pressure. Um, and, and we will see that. But before we see that, we're going to be talking about housing in a million other different ways. We're going to see, so? uh, see the return of these bills. Rent control is going to come back, right? A first refusal is going to come back. Polis is going to bring back in some form. He has sent a bill 213 from last year, which basically said, uh, at its heart, it says, we need to knock down regulation so we can get more housing built. But of course, the way that he was doing it, in 2013 was, and we're going to steamroll right over the local governments and saying what the regulations are going to be. I haven't heard how he's going to cut that middle ground yet and, you know, what could he possibly put forward that will assuage the Colorado Municipal League and at the same time uh, bring about substantial uh, property building. But housing is going to be one of the dominant themes this year, especially because it was largely left untended uh, by the end of last session. It's interesting Mm -hmm. that
0: his signature bill on that got nowhere. You know, th- let's step back on this. He has basically a supermajority hold on this legislature, and he still can't get that signature bill through of, w- of what he wanted.
1: What does that say to you? It says that he came from a background of federal government uh, or state state board of ed and then federal government into there, and he didn't serve in local government. And I don't think he understood the Fight. local governments will put up when you tell them what to do. I don't think he understood when advancing what was Prop HH uh, that the Municipal League, the counties, and the special districts, all three of the major local government organizations were all going to oppose it because it rolled over what they wanted to do. Uh, and now he's going back out and he's saying to local governments, okay, well, if you didn't like that, I challenge you to take down property taxes. So, um, so yeah, that's what I don't think. Uh, and I think, he should be coming to this realization that they are a major mover and player there um, but uh, but I don't know that he's seeing it yet and I, th- I think that's gonna we're gonna see how that plays out uh, another thing and you'll probably like this one John there's gonna be a bill coming uh, this session uh, that's gonna take another shot at construction defects reform uh, making it harder uh, to sue over uh, condo defects um, and it's gonna be run by Democrats and so now it's gonna be run by moderate Democrats uh, and that will also really test that kind of war within the party, uh, but it will test to see whether the will, will come out for it or not yeah. if if they make the argument that this will advance your goal of getting more housing built.
0: For those people who don't <clears throat> follow, Colorado's condominium market is awful. It's hard to find an affordable condominium, that first step that a lot of people take to home ownership, And it's because the trial lawyers love suing condominiums out of business. <laughs> because you can, you, yeah, it's just, you find a defect and you sue them and off it goes. So builders are like, I'm not building condominiums, I'll do apartments, mm-hmm. I'll do offices, but I am not doing condominiums where people own a share of, of a building, nuh-uh. And every time it comes to, to uh, addressing this, trial lawyers
1: win. And in 2017, they thought the, uh, the reformists thought, we got it. We're going to make it harder now. Instead of having three members of your five-member condo board vote to advance a lawsuit, we're going to make you get the majority of every one of your condo owners to do it. And oh, by the way, the Supreme Court then went and turned over uh, affirmed that if you put into your condo bylaws that you have to go to arbitration, not to the court, then you have to listen to it. And everyone thought, okay, this is going to open it back up and it didn't. Insurance prices are still through the roof. Lawsuits are still being filed uh, because now the board is just doing the work to get half the uh, condo owners to, to put in and sue this. And condos are between 2 and 4% typically of the new housing stock that's built each year. When you see in other cities that are attracting similar kind of young workforces like Austin and Salt Lake, they're around 15% these days. Wow. And that's what you really need to get people in and start building wealth and also be able to meet the environmental goals of of building uh, in close proximity and building up rather than sprawling out. The other
0: side of sprawling out is people want homes. And the reason nobody wants to dive into this because it's it's plainly obvious, but no one says it, is that urban growth boundaries are the reason why home prices in Colorado are ridiculous. 98% of all the land that can be developed in Colorado isn't developed because around our metro areas, Localities put up these urban growth boundaries. We're not going past that line. Well, if you did go past that line, we'd have lots of homes. This is a big, huge state. I, I defy anyone to keep their nose on a airplane window for the entire flight to see how much of Colorado is empty. But that would also mean that those places would need roads and they would need, and, and the left does not like roads. So they want to keep people packed and stacked. If you want to lower prices of homes, the way to do that is to end these growth boundaries. But they won't touch that. And I guarantee you, they
1: never will. Well, Polis did get this bill passed last year that ended growth limits, but that only affected three cities in the state that had growth limits in place. Um, uh, Again, I I think we're going to keep discussing this, and and we're going to keep discussing it in the context, too, and this is why businesses beyond home builders care about this in the context of workforce development. Businesses are struggling these days to find the workers they need. Before, we used to just throw open the doors. People would move in from the Midwest and the coast and say, oh, this is great, Uh, but now people can't find the housing they need here. And, and then also and,
0: you can't find the housing because of urban growth boundaries. When you do find a house, now it's got so many billions of uh, regulations on how it can be built to environmental codes. Now you're going to have to have electric heat and electric water heat and charging stations in your driveway. All this makes it more and more expensive. It's no wonder you can't afford, a young family can't come to Colorado.
1: And I think that Polis is is realizing that, and that, and, and you're seeing more ba- and more going back to my war yes. inside yes. the left. Yes, and you're seeing more and more. And and Polis is is particularly talking about workforce development. He's put forward 60 million worth of uh, worker training, apprenticeships, tax credits, things like that. Uh, I know you hate tax credits, no, well, um, in, but for, for in, guy, his for budget, a guy but, who yeah.
0: said specifically. I'm going to end special interest tax credits so that we can lower the income tax rate. Here's a guy during the special session, not only did he do what you just said, he then did the uh, earned income tax credit, lowering surplus money, taking away our table refunds, which could be used to lower taxes. So this this is the gaslighting that our governor does so well. To say he doesn't like special interest tax breaks and then gives out special interest tax breaks.
1: Mind you that these are special interests in the terms of any employer can get some of these tax breaks that he's proposing here. But but your point is well taken that we're going to have to balance. Like, okay, if we're going to add to the workforce, how do we get do these incentives to get people into our workforce at the same point without driving up the cost but of homes? But as also a guy
0: who says, I'm a libertarian, now it's government's job to do job training
1: uh, when people, you know, to-, to well, Theoretically, it. that's what the K-12 and college systems are for, right. is for job training. Right, so, exactly. Yes.
0: And so if you, mm. want, if you want to lower the home prices, he knows this. Let the market work. Let people put property up on, those, on all those empty fields, and guess what? Home prices will plummet. All right. What else are we
1: looking for? Uh, we're going to see probably a return of the fair work week bill. That was the one that basically said if uh, you were not giving restaurant and retail workers their schedules at least two weeks in advance, which is not in awesome. any way a practice in the industry, uh, then you're either going to have to pay them, you're going to have to pay them more if they work more or less than you schedule them. We're hearing that's going to come back, maybe with restaurants not included because the restaurants essentially got that bill defeated last year in working with business organizations to say how much this would kill them. Um, I even hear there's a bill coming that would set a 32-hour work week, basically. If you <laughs> if you have hourly workers, uh, and, and one was introduced in August in Pennsylvania uh, in this, if you have hourly workers uh, and they work more than 32 hours, you're paying them overtime, time and a half. Uh, so should um,
0: we change Colorado's name to France?
1: <laughs> it's, these are, and, and again, I think some of these are going to have a hard time getting through. And we saw that last year. These were, these were some areas where we're, legislators jumped up together. What uh, will go you through?
0: What do, you, what do you see as very likely? I've seen things about getting rid of gas engines again. I've seen all the usual, that kind of silliness. What do you think is
1: likely to land on the governor's desk? It's, it's hard to say what we'll get through. I do think there will be some sort of uh, air quality permitting regulation ramp up that will land on the governor's desk. It's a question of how significant it's going to be and if every new Oil and gas well in this state is to be considered um, a major uh, emitter. Uh, that would really. Cut down on what that industry can do in the state. I mean, so we, there's we no hear, industry left. You, you. You've heard this as well, I'm sure. We hear that there's going to be a bill introduced this year, possibly that would, you know, phase out all uh, exploration for oil and gas by 2030. I don't think that lands on the governor's desk. And in some ways, I think these these other making it harder to regulate bills are going to get through there. We may see something on uh, workers' compensation reform that's going to make it a lot more expensive uh, to uh, to buy workers' comp here. That may get through. We'll have to see how that gets massaged, but um, but I I no. don't know exactly what goes through yet. But I think it's going to be some of the things that didn't make it through last year. We'll get farther this year.
0: Notice the theme though, which is um, we'll get rid of the regulation on restaurant tours on the hourly way, and we'll do it else. We'll we'll find another way. We're not going to destroy oil and gas uh, development. That would be too honest. But what we're gonna do is raise the regulations so much that you'll have to do uh, air quality control permitting and pay such a fine that it becomes so cost prohibitive, you might as well just have banned it. And right now, if you talk to anyone in the industry, Colorado is what they call a no-no state. Nobody comes to Colorado to explore for oil and gas. If you don't already have a permit in, in the pipeline, you're not searching for one because it is the most unfriendly state to look for oil and gas, even though we've got some of the best resources in the country.
1: I think where the governor has a chance to to make a difference here is if he can step forward and say, "Okay, we're going to continue promoting uh, new sources of energy. And even energy companies behind this, such as carbon uh, capture and sequestration where you're, you're taking carbon that's being emitted from a factory and you're pumping it into the ground and you're using it to get cleaner oil up and you're storing carbon in the ground for thousands of years uh, instead of having it out in the atmosphere. But that doesn't but several, make
0: energy. That right. makes energy more expensive.
1: It makes energy actually less expensive if companies are allowed to do that. But even several bills that went through last year kind of blocked the path for that going forward. Polis has said, I want to be the new energy state, you know, passing bills to to regulate hydrogen. We have heard that before, by the way, new energy state. Hydrogen energy, for example, that had so many uh, restrictions on it that it's probably not going to attract the hydrogen energy companies that wanted to be here. He's got to step forward and see, how do I get these bills out that do what I want to do without so many restrictions that everyone will be scared away from investing?
0: I love his his infatuation with uh, thermo energy. You know, as he keeps saying, the heat beneath our feet, which I say, you mean oil and gas? Oh, no, no, thermal energy. But in order to use thermal energy, you have to frack. And so it's still fracking, but for thermal energy, not oil and gas. And it's hysterical to see him because it, he, can, he can do this gaslighting now. And then when environmentalists go, wait a minute, but you're going to frack in order to get to the thermal energy? Well, Yeah. Well, then, well, no, 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 then, then we won't, won't like it. It's just, it's amazing. All right, let me ask you this one. Sure. Rules, regulations, laws take time to build in results. You've been doing this long enough. You've, that's the beauty of having reporters who are not 12 years old, is that they've actually seen, wait a second, that rule was put into place way back when, and now it causes this unforeseen situation. Some of them are very foreseen. I'm starting to see a lot of these regulations starting to build on themselves. Next year, 2024 will be the first year of the Family Leave Act. You will be able to pull out your benefits. Mm-hmm. And so I know people would say, you know, I've already had my kid, but I can still pull out my maternity leave benefits in 2024. If you had your kid in the last year, that's yeah, true. Yeah, uh, and yes. so you've got you're going to have a ton of workers who aren't going to be working. We're going to get paid not to work from this very lucrative plan you've got the minimum wage uh, change which was made years ago really starting to build up denver's minimum wage will be eighteen dollars and twenty nine cents an hour starting at the beginning of the year you know so if you're a small businessman and you you need these workers you have to pay them more and they're not they don't have to show up and inflation is really starting to to, to kick it I see this in industry after industry after industry. At some point, they build, these regulations build to the point where people go out of business. First, it'll be the small business folks in, in Denver, but it's gonna bubble up to your clients at the Den- at the Colorado Chamber at some point as well.
1: Absolutely, I mean, we're seeing that all the time already now. And I think it's gonna be very interesting to watch the Family and Leave Medical uh, Insurance Program roll out next year. You've seen, uh, had a chance to, to uh, cover a lot of this um, in just in it being developed. And you've seen some states where they hit it right on, that it would just be certain workers who'd be using it and and uh, and maybe not everyone is, is pulling out. You've seen other states, um, Rhode Island is a good example, uh, where a lot of people jumped in and used this and the bills... Uh, piled up quickly on that. Um, a lot of people predicted the $1.3 billion that they've got in that account is not going to be enough to sustain it for a year. We're going to see fees going up because they built into the law that you could raise the percentage of a paycheck that goes into uh, family medical leave insurance. Um, I think a lot of will depend that's, on that's, that's how much s- do workers know this exists. Uh, uh, word gets around <laughs>
0: fast. Why isn't Bill here? Oh, he's skiing. I mean, he's working with his friend who needs ski therapy, whatever the hell it is. It is almost a percentage point uh, out of your paycheck, nine-tenths of a cent uh, on every dollar, split between you and your employer, that Mm. goes to this. It's still your money. It doesn't matter how you split it up. And it can go, if I remember correctly, to Mm 1.2% of, so it's gonna, we're gonna get hit with more payroll taxes as well. I guess my point is, after six years of polis, after eight years of Hickenlooper, four years of Ritter, these regulations are starting to turn into real world economic problems. And it's not just... Talk to any farmer, talk to any rancher, talk to any miner, talk to anybody in oil and gas,
1: and they're feeling it. And it's not just the, what do my workers get in terms of benefits, but how much am i reined in 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 getting my workers you know we we saw four years ago the bill come out saying you have to advertise and every uh, instance what the the job pay range is, which of course led to companies saying, uh, we're accepting uh, remote candidates, but not from Colorado. Um, And a bill came back in 2023. Uh, They were hoping to clear up some of those problems, and it actually made it a little bit tougher. Now you have to store up six years of record instead of three, just in case anyone sues you for uh, pay discrimination in that. Um, And yes, you see these things start to build and build upon themselves, and very little willingness to roll back or look at rolling back some of these. Now, I mean, the workers' rights advocates are going to say, look, we're not rolling these back. We put them in place for a reason. There's a reason we have, you know, six days of, uh, yes, six days a year of paid sick leave now because we needed something like that. But you put that on top of family, on top of these other regulations. And we at least just have to have this debate about, What does it mean for the average employer? I think too often the average employer is seen as Amazon, or Microsoft. The average employer is not the guy down the street hiring 25 people with his wife to run their restaurant. And I think that's the honest conversation that needs to be had. Like, okay, yes, uh, look, employers are not out there looking to screw employees. Um, They want to have employees that want to work there. They want to take care of them too. Yes, we put rules in place because of the bad apples, but how far do those rules have to go, and what do they mean, and when do they start affecting the good apples Apples, who, if they're not closing, at least are not hiring and not expanding and not giving the good apples a chance to be the employers that people want them to be. Those employees
0: don't stick around when they can't afford to live here. When home prices are so high and now energy prices are high, you know, it, you, these things hurt. The Denver metro area has the highest, one of the highest inflation rates in the country, and it keeps Growing that way, the Bureau of Labor Statistics breaks it out by metro area. And it's amazing to see that in Colorado, our inflation was much worse than the nation. The nation, when it hit 9%, it was 15% in Colorado. And only on those things that you don't really need to buy, like food and gasoline and that kind of stuff. All right, last question. Yes. Every session there's a surprise. There's this thing that turns into, into the issue we didn't see coming so you're the man what do you think that issue is
1: man i would be a lot richer if i knew the answer to this one you know you but you see
0: there's there's always there's always a scandal there's always uh uh uh, there's always there's always some sort of
1: (laughs) drama i'm not going to try to predict the next scandal i am hearing More and more calls, particularly um, by the progressive wing, uh, about the state having more power to step in quickly. And I heard rumors of a bill uh, not long ago uh, that would allow the AG's office to step in uh, and basically stop um, oil and gas operations or other polluting operations, um, which would be a power well beyond what the AG's office has. I'm not sure the AG's office wants that power. Um, and and um, I don't know if that bill in particular is coming forward. And I apologize if if the author of that bill is hearing this is saying you oversimplified it. You're right, I did. I, I may have oversimplified that. But I think the big fight that we may not be seeing yet is how much are the people who believe in a very, very strong government, um, and that is by nature what what the left is. It is more of a strong government system going to say, okay, enough of this. Let's just give these greater powers to let governments step in, stop things for environmental reasons in ways it never has before, because then we're going to have some really big debates about what our government should be.
0: And at the core of that, what happens is a centralization of power in Denver. The magic of Colorado, I believe, and its government is that the state authority is usually pretty small. State government's relatively small. We have over 5,000 local governments and special districts. All right? That's where people keep their government close to them. If you're running into the people of the supermarket. You're going to see your city council member there. You're going to find the person on the park and recs uh, board there. And there's something about the left that wants to centralize power and centralize it more and centralize it more. And Denver could become to Colorado what Washington is to the nation. And all the shots being called by bureaucrats in Colorado, that's where I think the magic of, of Colorado's form of governance could be lost. And I don't know if you would ever get it back.
1: We'll see. Local control is not just a tenant anymore. It is up for debate at the legislature, and we'll see how far that debate goes as well. People want to read what you're writing, and they should. Thank you. TTS? Close. It right. TSSColorado.com. It's the sum and substance, sum, S-U-M, ampersand substance, uh, and can find it uh, through the Colorado Chamber of Commerce website or go directly to the sum and substance. And it's all uh, for free, no paywall on this one.
0: And I would be remiss if I didn't let you plug the books.
1: Because thank you. Because you know, the, very few working alcoholics can make a side project <laughs> on drinking. Uh, the, you know, my parents always said in college, "What are you gonna do? Drink for a living?" and turns out I did. Um, But uh, my my most recent book, uh, it's 2016, but still very applicable, Colorado Excursions with History Hikes and Hops. It is a 30-day trip across the state, stopping each day at one historic site, one natural site, and one drinking site, what I like to think are the best of Colorado. It's how to get through Colorado and have a lot of fun doing it.
0: And you stayed married while researching for this book.
1: Not only that, my wife and I traveled across the state with an 11-month-old while our daughter was in utero uh, while researching this book. So Wait. it's not just <laughs> staying married. This is a key part of our family was this book you and know, our I travels. Remember,
0: I remember the good old days. Pregnant mm-hmm. woman could, of course, drink and smoke cigarettes.
1: <laughs> she wasn't mm-hmm. drinking, but she was driving a lot
0: so of in other words, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> so in other words, this poor woman, who's obviously just trying to keep a green card, you en- have <laughs> got enslaved, driving you around the entire state while, while you eat and drink your way through, through a month. Uh,
1: for um, minimal returns honey, on each book sold, honey, too. Honey, um, honey, you're the designated driver. That... De- Daddy's got to do some research. Is that what? Denise is a saint. I will just say that. But it is a family project, and we travel together as a family these days, days too. Does
0: Denise know that this is a no fault divorce state?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see how that is after the next legislative session, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Ed, as always, great having you. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate it.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend. And I hope you'll subscribe and follow the show. We have new ones released weekly. Remember, this audio was taken from our TV show. To watch it, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations.